Good morning and welcome to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement. This morning I'll be sitting down with John Poza, who is a local author who wrote a book called Was Anybody Really Listening? He will be at the Dubois Library on October 17th as part of the Friends of the Dubois Library at 6 p.m. And when we, when we return, we'll sit down with him and talk about his book and all the great things that are in that book. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Community County Services for local family-based mental health. Each day in Pennsylvania, there's at least 15,000 children taken from their homes due to abuse or neglect. Foster parents provide homes to these needy children. Lifespan Family Services trains, supports, and compensates foster parents to address this problem. Call Lifespan Family Services today at 375-1314 or drop in at the Dubois Mall or at Lane Avenue in Punxsutawney. Lifespan Family Services, helping people help children every day. 375-1314. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement, sitting here live with John Poza, author of Was Anybody Really Listening? Uh, John, welcome to Contact, and you're no stranger to radio, so... Thank you, Michael. Thank you for having me. I really enjoy being here. Yes, and I'm glad that you can make time to stop by and uh, talk about your book, but... I know who you are. Uh, I'm a member of the Dubois Rotary. You came and spoke to us about your book. Yes. And uh, But for my listeners who don't know, who is John Poza? Who is John Poza? Boy, what a heavy, <laughs> heavy question that is to start things off. <laughs> well, I'm actually, I spent the bulk of my career as a reporter and journalist. Um, worked in radio, television, and in newspapers. And um, a good part of my career uh, was spent here at Sunny 106. Uh, I actually had an independent news bureau that I operated from my home office in Brookville and basically did reporting of uh, stories for radio stations and also for newspapers uh, covering central Pennsylvania. And uh, sometimes Dubois would be one of my uh, areas covering Dubois Council. I covered Brookville, Brockway, Clarion University, you name it. Punxsutawney sometimes, and I did that for quite a number of years. But I had a whole career even before that working in in television and radio. So, uh, yeah. Yeah, no stranger to this uh, side of the microphone. Yeah. Um, You wrote this book, Uh, Was Anybody Really Listening? And I tell my listeners, everybody who I've had on this program that has come on about a local book, I've actually taken the time to read every single word I of it. I appreciate that. That's important. <laughs> and uh, it was easily accessible on Kindle. I'm a Kindle type of guy, but yep. a really interesting book. Um, tell us like, why you wrote it and what that process looked like to write a book. Well, you know, people had been encouraging me. I, I'm part of a, a writer's group. It's called uh, uh, The Watershed Journal, uh, which publishes a literary journal Uh, out of Brookville. Um, It's distributed throughout the PA Wilds area. And um, we have a writer's block party group out of that that started with people who support one another in in terms of their writing and and their uh, interest in getting published. And so that's kind of what got me leaning in that direction because a lot of people had said, oh, you ought to write a memoir, you ought to write a book. Well, I I did not know the first Thing about how to go about that. Well, interestingly enough, it was a combination of getting involved in this writer's group 
And the fact that we were deep in the heart of the COVID-19 pandemic. And this was at a time where uh, we really, you couldn't, we were almost like, uh, you know, sheltered in place. Right. And I honestly used that time to start drafting. I made my outline and started drafting chapters. And you know what I used for most of my writing, believe it or not, was my trusty old iPhone. <laughs> I actually, it's just too convenient. It was with me all the time. And that's how I actually put it all together. And then I had some support for editing and, and in terms of the uh, layout and all of that and the design work for the covers and getting itself published through Amazon, which is what I did. Right. Um, because I, like you, I would never have any idea how to write a book. But so it sounds like to our listeners, you would say, make sure you have a strong support group and people who are encouraging. Very much so. Yeah. Very much so. And be prepared. There's a financial outlay. Not, not a huge outlay, but, you know, you, you need to have a hire a professional editor who is experienced in doing that um, to make sure that there aren't any errors. And then they call it a beta writer. And you'll be you'll be surprised to learn. Um, folks around here certainly know Joe Taylor. Sure. Joe Taylor and I kind of joined this writing group around the same time. Joe served as what's called a beta writer. That's the first person that looks at your manuscript, not your finished manuscript, right. your rough manuscript. And he's not an not a, an editor, so to speak, but that just goes over the whole flow of it. What's necessary, what you can take out, what isn't necessary to make it all more concise and so forth. And Joe did a great job for me in that regard. Yeah, well, Joe is uh, something of a legend here, especially having uh, hosted Contact. Yes. And uh, after he and then Brittany Madeira, I had huge uh, shoes to fill and I still uh, can't fill those. Joe is uh, sounds like a very good friend to you Two terrific well. play people. I knew Brittany very well too because you know I, for about five years I did an Ask the Expert right. show and Joe Taylor was my co-host. Uh, <laughs> well so, then there you go. <laughs> yeah there you go. Yeah so you know we enjoy doing that. Well that's great. Um, in your book I want to turn back to your book. Sure. Having read it uh, some of the more exciting parts for me, if you will, were a couple of things. Uh, you got to sit down with who would become my favorite president of the United States, Ronald Reagan. You got to meet him when he was Governor Reagan. Yes. Can yes. you reflect on that for a oh second? Oh, my gosh. This is going so far <laughs> back. But I'll give you some dates, and people will probably get an idea of how old I am by <laughs> these dates. So shortly after, I, I actually am a graduate of West Virginia University in Morgantown, and uh, I graduated in 77. And shortly after that, in May of 77, I, I took my first job, um, full-time job, as a reporter for a local NBC affiliate uh, in, based in Clarksburg, West Virginia, WBOY. And they hired me to be the first uh, kind of bureau chief uh, based out of Morgantown, covering the university and Morgantown and Monongalia County. And um, it was at that time that uh, Ronald Reagan was still governor of California, but it was toying with running in the primary. And he made an appearance uh, at the airport in Morgantown. Hmm. And I was right there with him front row and got a chance to you know, interview him and um, so 
Uh, that's a, that's one of the pleasures, one of the real pleasures that I had in my early days. Yeah. Yeah. When you read through the book, I mean, you've met a lot of people. Uh, obviously, a Pennsylvania favorite, uh, Larry Holmes. I have his autograph in yep. my apartment. Um, yes. You you got to see his fight with many uh, many. Yeah. Scott Frank was one of them. Yes. But. Yeah. Larry Holmes uh, is from Eastern PA. And um, I was covering uh, later in my career when I worked in sports, I was working out of Philadelphia and uh, had the opportunity uh, as part of a regular beat to cover boxing. And most of the fights were kind of out of the Atlantic City area. Some were actually in Philadelphia. And Larry Holmes fought a number of times and, and he fought Scott Frank, who was from New Jersey for the title. Larry Holmes was the champion. And that, that was in Atlantic City. So I got a chance to cover that and a number of other fights. But my connection really to boxing was when I was working in West Virginia as the sports director, later as the sports director for WBOY. At that time, uh, this is like in the early 80s, late 70s, there was a heavyweight title contender by the name of Tommy Franco Thomas, who was from Clarksburg. And Tommy, who I'd gotten to be fairly good friends with. We covered his fights. We did a lot of uh, tape delay uh, broadcasts of his fights that were done locally. And then when he finally climbed the ladder, uh, he was ranked in the top 10 of the World Boxing Council. He had the opportunity to fight some named fighters. And so uh, he actually fought on a heavyweight title undercard fight uh, that was held in Pittsburgh. Larry Holmes had fought Ronaldo Snipes Okay, this was in November of 1981, okay? And actually, it was a fantastic fight. I was ringside, and uh, of course, it was the first time Larry Holmes had ever been knocked down. Mm. He was knocked down in the seventh round, but recovered and won on a TKO in the, in the 11th round. But Tommy Franco Thomas fought Jimmy Young, who, if many people remember boxing, fought Muhammad Ali, Fought many, many people, uh, uh, well-known fighters, George Foreman, in fact, beat George Foreman. But um, anyway, uh, that was one of the undercard fights. There's typically two to three uh, fights prior to the main event. And so um, we broadcast that fight in tape delay. And so I got in, I really got to know the boxing uh, uh, game very well. And that's sort of what allowed me to get a beat covering boxing on radio um, in the Philadelphia Atlantic City area when the sport was very, very, was at its almost peak in, right. in those years. Yeah. yeah. But very fascinating that you got to see and do all of those things. Um, another thing in your book that really caught my attention was just I'm sure for you, how different things are today. Oh. It sounds like in your book, you talk about having to run here and run there and you'd have to run the tapes, literally yes. drive across town at least a half hour, you would say, and have to meet people like a secret handoff. Yes. But in today's world, uh, I'm sure you look at it now and like, I wish we had that when oh I was there. Oh my gosh, so much easier today. Well, yeah, back in, in the days that I was working full time, I, I, you know, sport. let's just take sporting events as, as the perfect example. You know, it was very, very seldom that a local university like West Virginia or such as even if it's Penn State was on television every week, their right. football team or basketball. They were not. It was very infrequent. 
So if you wanted to cover that particular game as a, as a reporter uh, and, and delivering the results of that game, you had to physically go and you had to take the videotape. And sometimes that would be traveling, staying a very short period of time and getting back in time to put things together for your 11 o'clock sportscast. Today, <laughs> with this is also back in those days, this is prior to ESPN. Right. So you can imagine, right? Now, the plethora of various ESPN networks, Fox networks, numerous sports networks, they're basically most major colleges, it's like in terms of football, uh, their team is actually going to be broadcast on, uh, their games are going to be broadcast on some network. Right. So the, the person that's going to deliver the results on the newscast uh, basically doesn't even have to go to the event. They can pull the video, okay, from all of those sources. And, and uh, you know, it's, it makes things a lot simpler. We even have phones, right. phones that act as cameras that actually are very, very quality. Uh, you know, and the, they, they, they do take great pictures. The digital quality is there. So, yeah, I mean, much different. And then the other thing that's changed uh, let's, from the news standpoint is um, social media. Um, this right. goes without saying. Uh, there are so many outlets for anyone to get their voice out there, whether it's on Twitter or social media, so forth. And the problem is, you know, obviously, there's free speech. We all we all value that. But sometimes what happens is somebody will just say anything. It could be totally nonsense, and there's no truth to it at all. But if it's said enough times. And people, there are people that just will regard anything that's broadcast over the air um, or on social media as being the truth. And, you know, when it, you know, really often is not. Right. And I know um, because we've talked, can you talk a little bit about the Fairness Doctrine and what that is? And, yes. And, and how, John, it seems in journalism today that, it seems that people uh, either exaggerate or <laughs> or take it too far on both sides. It's yes. not a Republican or Democrat thing. This no. is something that's happening in journalism where the American people now don't want to trust what they're seeing on the news. Yeah. And that's a problem. It is. And I'll tell you what, and people may or may not remember this, but it was significant. You mentioned the fairness doctrine that the FCC had, which meant that if you expressed an opinion, uh, whether it was on radio, television, newspapers, whatever, whatever that uh, normally it, it came from the general manager of the station. Well, the point was that the opposing viewpoint had to be presented and had to be presented within a certain period of time, okay, to what the opinion that was expressed by that original person. Well, guess what? In 1987, and for whatever reason, that that was lifted. That that from the FCC regulations, the fairness doctrine was lifted. And if you think around that time, 1987, wasn't that pretty much around the time when talk radio and all the uh, people that became somewhat controversial in doing their own shows came big, became big. 
And you didn't have there didn't have to be any opposing viewpoint. Right. Now someone could call into the show and express a different view, but look at where we're at now. Right. With social media, with that, um, so that wasn't a good thing. And it seemed that there used to be a day, and I know I've talked to you about this, like like a Walter Cronkite who Ugh. who just seemed to present the news to the American people, not his opinion. Um, I know it's hard even from doing this show to avoid my own opinion, but talk to me about that. You were on this side. Like, how hard was it for John Posen not to give his opinion and just give the news or whatever it was on the day well, that you were reporting? back in the days when I was working, I mean, if you were, well, first of all, you had to be objective no matter what. Um, and you couldn't present your, in any of your reporting, you couldn't express any kind of an opinion unless it was in a separate way where, where it was it was acknowledged that you were you were doing a commentary and it would be noted as such okay that it was a commentary but now we have gotten to the point where so much of what is being reported is is commentary mm. it's it's all commentary and it's based it's personalities and it's and people develop uh they, they follow certain personalities because they maybe tend to agree with what they're saying, whether it's all true or not. It's their opinion. Mm. And that would never be the way that a nightly news broadcast would ever be presented. And you know what? It's even, it's even taken place in many ways uh, with your nightly news broadcasts on CBS, ABC, NBC, which were the, when I was growing up were your only networks, really. Right. Um, in the stories that they cover and how they cover it, um, they may not express an opinion, but there's definitely some editorial uh, leniency. Well, I don't want to say leniency. There's an editorial judgment that decides, okay, how we're going to cover something. Right. And um, so I think the American public in so many ways is just um, not really served. I think I call it information overload. That's a term that I, I've seen before. And I believe that to be true 24-7 yeah. now, 24-7 right? news cycle, and people don't know. They hear so many different things. It's hard to know who to believe and what to believe, really, unfortunately. Yeah, I find it very unfortunate. And I think for journalists, um, people like yourself, Joe Taylor, uh, and others who have been on this side of the microphone for a full-time living, that's how they made their living. Yeah. Um, you guys kind of get drugged through that mud too with the fact that some of these higher personalities on TV dominate, right? Right. It goes against everything that I've ever, I was ever taught in journalism school. You know, um, my professors probably way back then are, are cringing. They're cringing when they see what has happened. Um, but I mean, it's still, uh, you know, obviously people need to be informed. Um, and uh, whether you get your news, how we, how you get your news or where it's from, um, there's a value to that and the fact that it's available 24 hours a day. But I all I can say is just be very careful on who you trust to be your news source. Be very careful. Yeah, I think that's an excellent point. Um, just because it's on social media does yeah. not by any means means it's true, right? Uh, absolutely right. Absolutely right. So... Um, you've you've done all of this. Is there is there a story that you'd like to share with us that is maybe one of your favorites? Oh my gosh, there are so many stories. I mean, let's let's bring up um, 
you know, media people. Well, I interviewed way back when Geraldo Rivera. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> Everybody kind of knows what Geraldo Rivera is about today. He wasn't exactly the same way when he was starting out early in his career. And he, he did some groundbreaking coverage for ABC News. And, uh, but also, Geraldo, Geraldo, and I write about a chapter in my right. book about this. I had an interesting interview with him when I was based at the university. And he was a guest speaker at an event. And let's just say Geraldo was in a different frame of mind. <laughs> right. <laughs> and, <When> the, <laughs> and that's a great place. What we're going to do is I'm going to take a break and we'll come back and follow okay. up on All that. All right. Thank you. Contact on Connect FM is brought to you in part by our friends at Lifespan Family Services, located in the Dubois Mall for local adoption and foster care services. Hi folks, are you having problems with your child at home? Is their behavior a problem? Are you at your wit's end? If so, call us for more information. Community County Services, we provide family-based mental health. Call for information at 371-8066. We work to help you keep your family together in a healthy way. Community County Services, 371-8066. Welcome back to Contact on Connect FM. I'm your host, Michael Clement, having a very lively conversation with my friend John Poza about his book, Was Anybody Really Listening? Uh, John, we took a break, but you were telling us about Geraldo. We have about three to four minutes left. Anything that you particularly want to share with us? I also do know you have an upcoming event to Friends of the Dubois Library on October 17th. Yes, absolutely. Uh, first of all, just want to say the title, Was Anybody Really Listening?, there's a lot of meanings behind that, um, some of which we talked about in, in our program right. um, about the changes in the industry. And also, sometimes I, got, I always wondered, is there anybody really listening to my reports? Because you'll understand why I asked that question, because a lot of times that I did reports, they were for a network, and I never knew when the network would air certain reports at what time, because I never heard them. Right. Most of the time. But that that's that's really what the title's about. The book is available on Amazon. It's both uh, on paperback and on uh, Kindle. And you can get it on Amazon um, for $16. But I'm going to be at, this is part of a tour that I've done uh, promoting my book. I'm going to be at the Dubois Library this coming Monday, October 17th, uh, as part of the Friends of the Library group at 6 o'clock. And I will talk about the, the uh, book, and I will explain some of the crazy things that happened, just like we talked about here. And um, I'll answer questions. And if anyone wants to purchase the book from me personally, I will personally sign it for them. But um, it's, good. it's just an opportunity to meet people face-to-face -face, um, that they can ask any question they want to sure. ask about about the book and why I put certain things in the book. Yes, yeah. and probably about a minute or so left. Any final words to uh, anybody who's thinking about going into journalism? Well, that's kind of the reason why, another reason why I wrote the book, honestly, Michael, is because those who are interested in pursuing a career in journalism and being a reporter, take this to heart, um, because I had a lot of up and ups and downs in my career, but um, all I, in the end, I, I tell people, I tell uh, someone who's interested, if it's really in your gut uh, and you really have a love for it, then go after it. But the one thing that I learned 
is there are so many things that you can do with this background that can be applied if you have communication skills, if you have writing skills, they can be applied in so many different areas. And I, I'm a perfect example of that because I worked in education in the latter part of my career, and I wrote grants. So those are all the skills that I learned, right. you know, really helped me um, in terms of my Absolutely. Career. I just want to thank you for coming on. Thank you, Was Michael. anybody really listening? Great book. I hope you pick up a copy, and thank you for being here, John. Have a great day.